Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Greasters. I hope you're having an okay week. If you are in uh, the DDC, that's Dead Die Club. If you're new to this uh, podcast, it is the dreaded Father's Day on Sunday. Um, I do think we get off slightly lightly compared to the Mother's Day gang because uh, they find it harder to sell things to men than they do to women. Um, but uh, I will be thinking of you this Sunday. My biggest tip is just stay off social media it's so much easier and I know that's hard and you want to go on there but like you know it just uh, there will be an advert or someone will post a picture and yeah so I find my what really helps me is just staying off social media for the day and then honestly I promise you Monday no one mentions it again just gone no one's no one's talking about Father's Day Boxing Day so um that's a handy thing uh I hope wherever you are you have an okay day and it passes as peacefully as these things can at the moment This week I am talking to the incredible broadcaster, writer and journalist James O'Brien. I'm sure you'll be familiar with James's work. He is a radio presenter on LBC where he regularly tackles people in a so spectacular way. You have to watch it on YouTube to see him at work. He's also a writer. His book that came out last year is published in paperback now called How Not To Be Wrong, The Art Of Changing Your Mind. James is a very honest and interesting and intelligent person. It was an absolute joy that he found time to come and speak to me. James came in to talk to me. Uh, He has actually lost his father, which he talks about in the book a little bit as well, and about the grief around that and being a man, expressing emotions and what that means. But we actually ended up talking a lot about his very good friend, Andy, who died last year. So, James, who are we remembering today? We ask all our guests that. Well, I, I, I lost my dad a few years ago, but I lost a really good friend at the age of 50 last December, right? December of 2020 at the end of lockdown. So, I, I, I mean, remembering both of them, but I think probably I'm 50 in January and this is the first time someone from my own peer group has passed away. And it, it, it's... Mm possibly more interesting than than losing a parent which you kind of even when it takes you by surprise it's not a shock Mm. you expect you expect to outlive your parents I don't know that I expected to outlive my mate Andy and and in the you know the five or six months that have passed since it's it's been quite a quite an interesting experience The, the the bits that come back the reminders that come back, the bits that you do think about and the bits that you don't think about. And the, the, the whole sort of intimations of your own mortality as well, as, as I know mm. you've, you've explored very, very much in the past. So, um, so his name was Andy. 
Mm. So how did Andy die? What happened? I had a brain tumour. I had an inoperable oh. brain tumour and got the diagnosis and, and, and the prognosis, which he defeated. He, he, he hung around for a lot longer than was originally expected. But there was pretty much from the minute that he... He collapsed in the street and had had a fit. And from that moment on, I mean, from the first medical investigation after that, he knew that that was it. He knew that the writing was on the wall. And, and until he actually died, I don't know that I ever actually properly believed that he was going to, mm. to be honest with you. it's. I mean, I, I saw quite a lot of him towards the end. So obviously when, you know, I'm sitting on his bed holding his hand and, and he not really sure whether he knows I'm there or not then then I was clear yeah that that, that he wasn't gonna suddenly they weren't going to announce that they'd made a terrible mistake but but until that final fortnight I I think subconsciously somewhere inside I still thought I still thought that we might somehow pull it out of the pull it out of the bag you know mm. weirdly just didn't I wouldn't have said that at the time <laughs> but I um yeah I would now I think it's it's very common and it's very hard sometimes to like rectify that in your head because you're like, well, you know, I'm a logical person. I'm smart. Like, yes. why do I think that? <laughs> but there's just some part of the human brain that's like, no, no, I don't. Until you see, until it happens. I think we just, part of you sort of builds a little bit of cotton wool around yourself of like, just don't look at that too closely because it's painful. And so, you know, I think we just sort of, yeah, it must be some form of self-protection that is just, it's just too hard to go, like, they're definitely going to die and I need to face that until, as you said, you know, they're on the bed and you're it's holding their hands. Ab and you absolutely unavoidable and, and children yeah. as well and all of that kind of, and also, and I often think that death and birth are, every single time one occurs, it feels like the first one ever. The closer <laughs> yeah. you are to the action, you know, people have a yeah. baby and, and, I'm speaking about myself now. I'm not criticising anybody else. When my oldest was born, I, 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 you know, I thought that this completely changed the way that everybody should look at existence, humanity, and the world in general. And then it was politely pointed out to me that quite a lot of other people had had babies <laughs> over the millennia, and that this probably yeah. wasn't a unique experience. And then when my dad died, again, as that was my first real taste of grief, again, I, I sort of thought, crikey, this is... Inc and then you have to remind yourself that this has happened to... Everybody who's ever lived has has been through grief of some kind, yeah. but I don't know whether it was with, with with the age and the unexpected nature of it, and it being illness rather than just old age. It, 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 yeah, I think there is probably an evolutionary device that's designed to protect you from recognizing the the futility of existence. If we all recognized mortality and the futility mm. of existence that none of us would ever get out of bed in the mornings I guess and, and that must be how the species <laughs> has, has, has thrived and survived How long had you known Andy? Had you known him a long time? Yeah I mean his his wife was my wife's best friend from school so we'd been you know couple friends for I've been married for 21 years so it goes back beyond that wow. um, all, all my adult life really all my post mm. post university adult life well, yeah, I think I think it's interesting what you're saying because, yeah, you know, we speak, we, I would say we, like the royal we, yeah. I speak to lots of different people. And, yeah, they, well, you know, each grief is unique. But something about losing someone, like you said, in your age bracket, in your range, and as you say, post-university has obviously witnessed all these things that you've gone through. That phrase was used um, with another guest when she was talking about the loss of a sibling, Emily Dean, mm. um, who, oh, yes, whose sister died. Uh, yeah, and her parents, and she said when her sister died, she lost her witness. And I think maybe is that similar with a friend of like someone who's been through those markers with you, like you said, for such a long time, and then them going is something that just hadn't, yeah, you hadn't That's prepared very, in your yeah, head for at all. No, and also it's interesting that because he worked in, in the same sector, he wasn't a show-off, he wasn't a presenter, he was a very, very successful um, entrepreneur and and, and set up his own business d doing content and, and TV production, film production. And what I loved about him was that notion of, of witness. He wasn't, he, he found the show busy side of my world simultaneously ridiculous and fascinating. And you need friends mm. like that 
when you do this. Otherwise, if you've got a slightly overdeveloped ego, as most people do on my side of the microphone, on my side of the Green Bay's door, you need friends. I call them twat alarms. You need a twat alarm. You need somebody who will will tell you when you're being a twat. If you look at some of the biggest Mm. public car crashes um, in politics or entertainment, there are people who no longer have a twat alarm. There are people who have nobody (laughs) in their life who will just tap them on the shoulder and say, mate... Mm. Come on, why, why? and he Mate, didn't do it often, but, but I was always, with a really good, yeah, but it also, you, it, a really good friend teaches you to become your own twat alarm, I think, so because, certainly yeah. since he died, I have on a couple of occasions found myself wondering how I'd tell him this particular story, or I'd share with him this particular, I mean, anything from an on-air experience right through to a contract negotiation, because he was, and I didn't realise when he was still alive how brilliant a businessman he was, because he was just my mate. And then I did the Mm. eulogy at his funeral on, you know, there was a few of us in the room and then on Zoom afterwards. And the way that people spoke about him made me realise how blessed I'd been just to have his counsel, because what was just a mate to me was a, 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 you know, a world-beating businessman, one of the most important people in that whole YouTube channel, uh, you know, tailor-made content sector. I, I, so Dan Snow, the historian, was talking to me about how Andy had changed his whole life, his whole outlook on the, the profession and, and other people, like really heavy hitters, really, really big names were queuing up to to share their memories of what an amazing visionary he was in this industry that has kind of grown up around us over the last 10 years. And and so I was just getting counsel off my mate. I was just getting occasional sounding board advice without realising without realizing what a big deal he was in in mm. in, the, in the world at large and and that made me really miss him as well that sense of not being able, I don't think he'd have minded because he didn't have an overdeveloped ego, but I, I'd like to have said <laughs> at some point, I do, by the way, understand what a massive, massive deal you are. And if I'm really honest, I don't know that I, don't, I, don't know that I did while he was still alive. I kind of knew, but I didn't know, if you, if you see what I mean, because mm. it's separating the friend from the public figure and, and I never really got the hang of that. It's hard, I think, when you've known someone a long time, like... If you know if you've been friends with someone a, a long time, and like you said, to the point that you know you can twat alarm each other, I'm sure. Yes. Well, that... he didn't need it actually. I got to be honest, with you. <laughs> I, and I need it more than is normal. So it's an interesting tension. Yeah, yeah, that is, and <laughs> I think it's hard sometimes. I don't know. They almost become family-like, and you know, oh, yeah. I've got friends of twenty plus years and who are performers, and I find it's like you've almost got to the point where it would seem weird to say, do you know how important I think you are? So you get to the almost like, yeah, yeah, you you know. Anyway, (laughs) and I think, God, when does it happen? Like, when does a friend sort of cross that boundary of, um, you know, with a newer friend, you'd be like, oh, gosh, thank you so much. Or you've been so wonderful. Wow. Because you want them to know. But once you get to a stage with someone, you're like, it's beyond words how we connect. And, you know, yeah, you are a part of my a family extended family and that and whatever happens even if we fall out I know I could call you and if I needed you you would be there like that's the agreement we've got with each other but then you get the Joni Mitchell <clears throat> moment don't you where you don't know what you've got till it's gone and, <laughs> and, that, and that, that that I have found myself being hit around the back of the head with that quite a lot lately mm. he, I don't know that I ever had a friend who delighted in my successes as much as he did because he'd been there when I was very very frustrated about things not going better for me, about, you know, being stuck in a bit of a rut and wondering why, uh, you know, the the X wasn't happening or Y wasn't happening. And so when it all started happening, he found it delightful. There was no, you know, that Gore Vidal line about how uh, every time a friend of mine has a great success, a part of me dies. I die. Which I used to not, uh, yeah, I, I used to nod along with that a lot. But my God, if only he'd had a friend like mine, because that that sense of simultaneously understanding its importance while also finding it ridiculous. I don't know that I'll ever have a friend like that again, to be honest with you. I don't know that people can just get it so intuitively. 
Mm. So he had one foot in the industry and one foot, as you say, in my family. We're each other's children's godfathers. We, we were we were knitted, knotted together in so many ways that I didn't, as I keep saying, I didn't really realise. I don't know if you can learn from this. I don't know whether you start cherishing your other friendships more or whether actually losing losing the friend who might well, at the end of my journey, might turn out in many ways to have been the best friend in these areas that I could ever have had. I, I, I don't know whether... I think sometimes you just have to sit with your sadness, don't you, rather than think that you can yeah. overcome it or fix it or learn from it or find the silver lining. Sometimes you just have to sit with it. And, and I know I told him how much I loved him. And that was the kind of language that he never... He was from Rochdale. I mean, he found, found that kind of lovey, lovey crap absolutely ridiculous. But, um, but yeah, you, you, the, the value that people have to you is... Uh, it's probably not something that most of us keep a running tally of, is it? No, not at all. And and also, I think grief can be really tricky sometimes because, it, like you said, it sort of makes you think, oh, should I cherish everyone and tell everybody? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're so important. But actually, in real day to life, you can't. And, uh, and, and you said not, it would be, ma- Karen, it would be odd, you know. Important. Lots of people that yeah, you love, yeah. lots of people that you're friends with, they're not as valuable to you as others. And and. Mm. That's what I mean about sitting with it. I don't know that I have really yeah. drawn any profound lessons from losing him in the sense of how I treat other people. I've just, mm. with each passing month, I've I've come to miss him more because I hadn't realised the size of the space that he occupied in my life. Yeah. And I that is, I mean, you know, every grief is different and no advice is suitable for everybody. But sitting sure. in your sadness, I think, is what you said is so great because... It's the only thing I've learned <laughs> that yes. kind of works, inverted commas. Like, it, yes. it does... You have it, to like you just said, accept it. Yeah. You just I can't couldn't fix do it. that before therapy. I couldn't have done that before mm. I had therapy. I used to approach everything like a riddle I could solve or a battle I could win or a, or a, yeah. or a fight that I had to... You know, a foe I had to vanquish. So having therapy for me... And I spoke to him a lot about this because he had therapy after his diagnosis to help him come to terms with things and we spoke together I mean as much as a, a lad who was never that comfortable talking about his feelings could do but that that idea of I'd have been bugger all used to him if I turned up every time I saw him with a sort of jolly holly hockey sticks come on mm. attitude and although I said to you at the outset I never quite believed that we were going to lose him I, I certainly never tried to which I would have done before therapy I'd have been trying to you know, come on, we can come on. There must, there's got to be something we yeah, can do. Or yeah. I've seen Lorenzo's oil. There's always a miracle. <laughs> there's always. I'm not seriously. Yeah. That's who I used to be. I, I I thought that you could fix almost anything with with a sort of weird combination of a, of a stiff upper lip and a and a PE teacher's psychology. But um, <laughs> but no, I I I think just sitting with him and sitting with our pain, my pain and his pain was a lot more valuable to both of us in the end. A lot more a lot more useful god yeah and i very similar i can only say sitting in sadness is a good idea thanks to therapy (laughs) like i was yeah i was i'm a fix it i'm like we can research we can google we can work hard we can keep talking push through and somehow guys we're going to fix everything like there's always my dad you know his one of his quotes was um don't give me problems give me solutions yeah that's used to all say to us so i was brought up with this like there's always a solution you just haven't thought of it and that's what i used to do with my grief is like well how can we solve it you know how can we feel better and then yeah thanks to therapy you've learned to just go oh it's just sadness and I think that's really wonderful that you were able to sit with him before he died and and just be like oh this is just awful let's just sit in it with each other because like you said so many people struggle to do that when before someone's dead Mm. you know they struggle with that bit when it's so painful and it's so difficult and they want to just come in and just and just make it better and just make it not true and so I think that's you know it's also not for me it was also about I never realized I used to do this but my personal feelings would be my priority in any situation so I think this starts at boarding school where you want everybody around you to reassure you that there's not bad news just around the corner so whether you're you know whether it was uh, you're away from home so you don't have that parental safety blanket in permanent Mm. position and and so I realized 
a few years ago when I started therapy that I wanted everyone around me to reassure me that I was okay. So if you were in pain, I'd try and convince you that you weren't so that I would then feel better. So it took me ages to unravel this. And and it's like everything else, it's a work in progress. But if you were, if I loved you and you were in pain, my pain would be bad. And therefore, rather than helping you, I'd want you to help me. So I'd be trying to convince you that things mm. weren't that bad. And then if you then agreed with me that things weren't that bad, whether it was true or not, I'd feel temporarily relieved. I'd feel temporarily better yeah. about my vicarious or my empathetic pain. That was, And, and I had none of that with him, mm. which is, must be down to therapy because I could sit there and I'd think, right, today I'm going to make you laugh. And I would. And we'd, we'd sit and we'd laugh properly. And on the way home, I might cry. But I thought, well, that's fuck all used to him. There's no point me sitting there crying, mm. <laughs> you know, if I've come round to take a bit of pressure off. All that matters in this engagement right now is your feelings. And that was a very new experience for mm. me. There's the timing of starting therapy, losing him or him being ill was, um, was, was, it was pure coincidence. But it was remarkable because it was the first time in my life, I think, that I'd been able to leave my own feelings in the background and... and thank goodness that, that I could and that I'd learnt to. So when, just to get me clear my uh, timeline, so it was last December, did you say? Mm. So how has that been? Because that was, we were in the depths of, I think, the worst lockdown, <laughs> the winter lockdown. Did you find that kind of, I know you said you did the eulogy and you had, you know, stuff on Zoom. Was that an added layer to the grief or was it just you know by the by kind of thing. I felt quite I felt angry about the funeral being so small because mm. um more so for for his wife actually than for him because obviously he wouldn't have been there but I I, I feel for his wife and ch- children a really massive send-off would have mm. would have been fairer would have been more helpful because it was end of life care and and my wife and I were you know we were involved we didn't get that restricted by lockdown rules and we came in and out of it so you know he was still well enough to go out for a slap-up feed in sort of august september of of last year so i didn't i I mean i don't know because it 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 happened in those circumstances and it's the only time Mm. it's happened to me so i don't have a a space for for comparison but yeah i mean i think that everything being slightly surreal anyway yeah probably then played into the you know as i say despite the fact that it's happened to everyone who's ever been born it it still feels surreal when it happens to you so there is in my memory there's a kind of there's a slightly unreal air to all of it and i wouldn't know where his illness stops and the lockdown starts and Mm. vice versa because it was such a crazy period anyway even without having this unfolding in the middle of it were you with him when he died no um we thought we might be We, we made a mad dash for the for the final farewells and then, in typical fashion, he he rallied the next morning <laughs> and had another had another two or three days, and and so we'd all done our, you know, our big farewells and what have you, without being a hundred percent sure he would have heard. And um, my oldest, his goddaughter, came in to see him when we were saying our farewells, and. I don't know why, but I know I can't remember whether his grip on my hand tightened or whether. But he knew, and I knew that he knew that he was even he was still there, and I think by the time he finally left, I was well we were all very comforted by by confidence that he knew and he'd heard us say mm. what we wanted to say to him before he before he went so hard <laughs> it's just so mm. hard, it's just yeah, very sad. I was just wondering if you did you sort of have to go to work, did you have to go straight back into talking and politics and lockdown yeah, but, and all but, that. but do you know the, the weirdest thing about my job is that you can even if you're in physical pain you can turn it off for three hours whether it's the adrenaline mm. or whether it's the uh i talked about him on the radio a lot as well i did a lot of fundraising for hospices he'd have loved the um 
So he put out a face. One of the last things he did on Facebook was a an appeal for us to donate to the hospice workers that come to your house. Oh yeah, yeah. Rather than the, the so. Every, every time I said I told you so on the radio in the context of Brexit, I had a bit of theatre where I'd put £10 in a charity tin and the charity <laughs> was Hospices UK and I know he'd have found that very, very funny. That was really near the end, actually. So I was I could talk about it on the radio and then in the run-up to Christmas, his youngest was supposed to get a skateboard ramp for Christmas and they got a message on about the 22nd or the 23rd. Remember, his dad's died by now, just to say that, oh, sorry, we won't be able to l- deliver it. And that was that, that was the last big Christmas, Santa will bring you this, and mm. he'd spoken to his boy about what Father Christmas was gonna bring him, and, um, and this company balls it up. So I used my radio show to, to get bloody skateboard ramp delivered <laughs> <laughs> so we had it ended up being a pop star called james who's a pal of mine anyway but he was listening that day james mcveigh out of the vamps was listening in his car and him being young and trendy had a lot much better contacts in the world of skate parks than i would ever have and he made some calls and it ended up with with andy's brother-in-law driving to meet the fella who'd built us a skate ramp overnight halfway from London in all in the middle of lockdown so that on the morning on Christmas morning his son could actually you know walk out into the garden and there it was this bloody great enormous skate ramp and I used my show so I, I I'm very lucky at work in that I can always talk I can talk about whatever I want to talk about so I talked about my friend and you know I talked about my dad when he died there's only one or two things in the course of my broadcasting career that I have left off limits on the on the radio show and so no I didn't have a problem with that I I, I was lucky Uh, and then of course the Christmas it coincided so I had the Christmas break Mm -hmm. anyway so I don't know while I was processing my own grief how interesting it would have been for other listeners to 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 be in on that even if I did it on air I didn't have to because I was I was on my Christmas holidays anyway, but but no, it's always it's always quite. If I wanted to forget about it for three hours, I would have been able to, but but by using the work and and equally, if I wanted to talk about it on on the radio, I could do as well. So I'm very blessed like that, very lucky that they let me. You know, I'm yeah. allowed to, to have all that freedom on air, which is quite rare in in this industry. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I guess also the interesting the work you know that your show and what you do because it is it's yeah like if you are sad that day that's okay that's not like someone reading the news and being like oh all right like they're crying about something else I just need them to tell me the news like yes it's not I think that you're right yeah I mean I don't think you could do it every day there's <laughs> great stories about Tony Blackburn many many years ago and his marriage broke down and he was begging his ex-wife to come back to him on air every day I think there's probably a limit to how much of your inner turmoil you can bring to the microphone but um yeah. but I don't think I came close to to cross <laughs> to crossing that line it, it and I know and he listened a lot as well particularly when he was you know bedbound so some days I I think yeah talking to you today I tell you what did happen what was really amazing was when we were discussing it, it was an extinction rebellion protest and he had chemo that day and so, so, some of the kind of I don't know what you'd call them, climate change sceptics would often, and I've heard it employed many times, use the argument about how awful Extinction Rebellion are because what if mm. what if someone needed to get to hospital and there was a protest and he was in the back of a car, he was stuck in traffic, going to chemo, stuck because of the Extinction Rebellion. I'm on the radio, I get a text off him while I'm in the studio saying, just so you know, I am actually on the way to chemo at the moment <laughs> and I might miss it because of this Extinction Rebellion protest and I think it's the most important thing. <laughs> I think the Extinction Rebellion protest is a hell of a lot more important than my chemo. And so I always had that idea that he might be listening in the background and that, that you know, it's a very... So I, I, I said that on air, actually, because I thought, well, he's obviously got me on in the car, so I might as well give him a little shout-out. And, and I think people <laughs> probably didn't believe me. It was too convenient. Oh, yeah, of course you have. You've got yeah, a mate in mates the back of the yeah, car yeah. on his way to keep... <laughs> you know, goes to another school, does he? Um, but no, that, 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 yeah. I've forgotten about that. So that, um, that was the kind of input, you know? 
that's wonderful story <laughs> because mm. yeah you know we have heard that argument so many times and it's such a sort of blunt argument because it's just like well yes, yes that might happen but equally a bus could fall over because an alien hit it and then people wouldn't exactly. be able to get to chemo like there's so many yes, reasons <laughs> that people can't get to chemo like things can happen um yeah. but yeah how wonderful that he was able to yeah express no he was literally the, the the example the living yeah. breathing example and, and and refuting what people were claiming on his behalf <laughs> which of course is, isn't to say there'd have been someone else stuck in traffic it was having exactly the opposite reaction yeah but yeah i just thought it was rather lovely that he was so on the money he was so in the moment ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. And so you talked a little bit earlier, um, we just come back to it, like, you know, you were the same age. And obviously when somebody... <laughs> youngish dies you know that that there is that moment where you think about your own mortality and we had an episode a few weeks ago a friend of mine passed away a, a palliative care nurse who like similar to what you're saying like I didn't quite realize the place she had in my life and she was someone that I could talk to about this death stuff which obviously a lot of my comedy friends yeah. don't really want to like get into like the nitty-gritty of like palliative hospice care um sure. and yeah, and, and she was someone that really, really shook me because to me she was so, yeah, she was so young and youthful. And I when we talked yeah. about her on my that episode, I described her as someone like I wasn't kind of worried about, I wasn't in my list of like frail or vulnerable or anything like that. And it does make you question yourself and everything. So how have you dealt with that sort of aspect of, of grief, that which is kind of strangely you know could come back again to another point you made of like it is kind of more involved in yourself but of course it is because that's what grief does you mm. can't help but then reflect it back like how are you feeling about your own mortality now that you've been through that well well i bought a rowing machine <laughs> i'd already bought it i bought it during lockdown but i hadn't i bought it for one of my children and then my blood pressure was a bit high just after christmas so I have, for the first time in my life, I've started exercising. So wow. I don't know. It's hard to unravel it. Yeah. Isn't it? It's hard to know whether it's linked or not. But I I, I am increasingly... I interviewed Eric Cantona a few years ago. And um, it was a fascinating interview. Yeah. But he looked me in the eye. I was talking to him about mortality and, and getting older as an athlete, as a sportsman. And he looked me in the eye and he told me that he didn't believe he was ever going to die. <laughs> And I kind of, but I kind, I kind of believed him. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, Eric, Can, it's Eric, Eric Cantona, Cantona, so it's, yeah, it's all imbued with this slightly uh, magical air, aura. Anyway, I mean, the man is 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 is, is almost a, a myth, isn't he? Yeah, but yeah. I think he me- I, I think he meant it. I think he, he kind of, <laughs> rather than actually go there and think about it, he he kind of, I I do, I do not think that I I, I will die. I, I do not think I will die. Um, and I know that I will now, 
I probably would have somehow subconsciously denied it mm. this time last year. And so for, for the first time ever, I, I now, I used to get so bored exercising and, and I talked myself out of it. And three months in, I'm, I'm still on still on it. So I guess that's probably part of it is that making efforts to extend my own existence, mm. you know. There might be grandchildren around one day. There's certainly children, people I want to see grow up, His 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 children. I had one of his boys round last Saturday, not the one that's just gone, the one before, and it was... I God, I missed him so much that day, but mm. he's not really ready to talk about his dad yet much, but I need to be there for when he is, you see. And the fact that he was so comfortable in our family is something that you have to work at. Mm. You, you know, you can't take that for granted. If there's a six-month gap between the next time we see him, then... He might not be comfortable with with my wife and me and my children. He might, you know, he might be a, feel like a stranger or an outsider. So there's so much that 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 you think about, but it's it's made me more aware of time, of of time in every sense. Just you know, the time you need to put into people, but also the time that you have being finite. It's a, mm. it's a funny one. And again, it's all underpinned with, with the knowledge of what he'd make about... If if I said to him, mate, I'm doing a podcast this afternoon, I'm going to really put it out there and examine how much I miss you and talk about grief, he'd, he'd get it. But he'd also be able to find it funny. Yeah. But that's the bit I can't quite convey to you, is that he would have this incredible ability to understand the seriousness of situations without ever taking situations too seriously. And mm. I keep coming back to how much I wish I'd realised that at the time and, and how much I wish I'd realised... So when I was writing the eulogy, which was awful, I mean, mm. I, I, I love public speaking and he hated it. And, and yet he ended up doing, you know, massive Silicon Valley rooms full of... Silicon Valley billionaires and and doing the whole TED Talk type of circuit, and yet he hated public speaking, so he trained himself to like it. Whereas I always liked standing up in public and shooting my mouth off. But this was the one time I really didn't want to. I I, I really didn't want to. And when I was writing it, I had some of the letters he's left for his children, and he said one thing in it. He said, "I, I don't have." a single regret and that has really I don't want to say haunted because that has negative connotations that's really really stayed with me is imagine that he actually said imagine that imagine how that feels 50 years on this earth and not a single not a single regret about anything he'd ever done any decisions he'd ever made well. you know from the big ones like getting married and adopting children and and business stuff and doing this and taking risks and jumping out of metaphorical aeroplanes and that has really stayed with me uh, I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to say that when my time comes it may already be too late I don't know but that was that was an incredible because he meant it mm. you know that initial reaction you have like you think and he'd already gone by the time I was going through this paperwork so the idea that he was trying to do what I used to do, like kid himself almost, that he was okay with this, convince himself almost that he that he wasn't broken or... I, I, I categorically, I would die on this bridge. He was at peace mm. when he passed and he genuinely looked back over his entire life and just felt joy and gratitude for what he'd been through, which I still don't understand because... He seemed to have got past any place where it was all regret or all pity, self-pity about what wouldn't happen. He genuinely, he genuinely got there. It was all about how lucky he felt he was. While I'm reading this, thinking, on one level, I'm thinking he's the unluckiest person I know because he's mm. not here anymore. And yet he's describing his... Great love for his wife, his, 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 his great joy that he's taken from, from fatherhood. And and I just believed him. And th those were the bit when I get to those bits when I was doing the eulogy, I had to, um, 
let's just say I had to pause. Mm. Uh, uh, those even in a relatively small congregation, I, I that nearly that nearly got me very very nearly got me because it was true. I think it, and that's incredible, isn't it? I don't know how many people have that, especially when they're taken from us early. So I feel more keenly, maybe, than he did at the end, the, mm. the, the, the things he'll never do, because he was so busy being grateful for the things that he did do. I think that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really incredible. He was an incredible man, and, and, and yeah. he was more incredible in death, maybe, even more incredible in death than he had been in life, because cause he just took it, dealt with it, prepared for it and went you know we talk on the show sometimes and we'll say like a good death mm. and but often what that's describing is like you know someone being old or surrounded by family or you know like yeah. not being in loads of pain but actually what I was just thinking of like it's almost like a good pre-death of like yes. being able to reach a peace before you go so that those that love you know that because I think that's the other thing that often happens to people is they just they just can't get like they can't get to that bit that kind of zen like yeah. state because they're dealing with no I don't I don't want to go I don't want this and that's amazing that he was able to get there because I think what that really the gift that that is for those that you leave behind yeah. you know that's why it's such a like I think maybe that's why we're both kind of silenced by it because it's like mm. it's such a genuinely generous thing to do it's very hard to believe, isn't it? It's, it's, it's yeah, very it's just, hard to fully, fully believe. There's yeah. a little bit of you that thinks, yeah, all right, I mean, you're, you're almost there, but you must still... <laughs> and I'm sure that there would still have been howling at the moon moments of that. But it, I know that in the... I mean, I read what he wrote, and I know he was he was ready. He, mm. he had a long time to come to terms with it. I mean, I... I so when my dad died, it was the polar opposite. He was 73. Right. No one was expecting it. He wasn't poorly. Um, and, I, and, and he just he just keeled over one day. Mm. And the only comfort I could derive, I drew immediately was the knowledge that we'd always been a very, or I'd always been, a very expressive person. So dad died. He could have been in no doubt whatsoever about how much I loved him. Mm. But there was no there, there was none of that opportunity for him to be at peace so i get that's what i get upset when i think about wondering what was going through his mind at the end because so much of it would have been shock mm. and not being ready he was a religious man so i i hope that that there was some comfort in his religion at the end but with with andy he had he had so long to prepare for it, more than any of us thought that he'd have. Yeah. That he, I think he really used that time, which is, I don't know what's better or worse. What would you prefer? <laughs> I, I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or would you want a lightning bolt to come out of the sky and just end it all? Or would you want the opportunity to say your goodbyes and to put together yeah. your keepsakes and to and to share your memory? I just don't know, to be honest with you. No. But I do know that he was... He was ready. He, he was at peace. He was at peace. I know that's an overused phrase, but there's a reason yeah. it's an overused phrase, isn't there? Because it just encapsulates something that other words don't quite describe. He was at peace. And, and I think that's why when he slipped away, he... I don't know quite what the right word is. So we all knew it was coming. Mm. And because he was at peace, it was easier for us to deal with, obviously, than it would have been if, if we'd felt that he still was railing against the inevitable, you know? Yeah. He accepted the inevitable, and that made it much easier for us. And that's why I think it's such a, a generous thing. And maybe, like, comes back to what you're saying about, like, it's a complete lack of ego, because it, it's really, it's an act, even though, obviously, it's you know you would want to be at peace one would want to be at peace but it, mm. it's soothing to the people around you to be like don't worry i have dealt with this you don't need to panic like i'm okay it's a very very generous act to do and 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 not easy like my god not easy at all and people can have all the time in the world i mean we do we do have all the time the moment we're born we are it's gonna happen and um, people still don't you know find their peace with a lot a lot of things no. and we talk about that a lot on the show of like 
it's funny like so i speak to people who've who've had the sudden you know get a phone call yes. in the middle of the night someone's just died yeah. and then the people yeah. who've cared and nursed someone and and i think if you haven't been through one of the other experiences you can often think oh that sounds better but yeah it's like comparing to is to you know no, there's not about better or worse it's just different like they're mm. both painful one is like you said just wrapped up in shock and the other is wrapped up in watching someone you love be in a lot of pain and be very sick which is you mm. know another just a different mm. form of pain so i think if you can find anything good <laughs> or anything not good is again the wrong word but anything no i know comforting what you mean. I consoling know exactly what you mean. in in that then then that that is something because it is it's such a sadness when somebody dies it is such a sadness and there's mm. you know there's nothing we can do about that that's again the what so much of grief is is ourselves railing the against powerlessness. the powerlessness the lack that's of control the there's nothing yeah. we can do and for him to sort of lead by that example i think that's really incredible that he didn't he found a piece so therefore he's sort of leaving you with that gift of mm. Well, I found a piece for that, <laughs> so, you know, which obviously not to dictate how anyone feels. And I thought what you said about his son was really interesting as somebody who lost a parent as a teenager. People often ask me, oh, what can we do? What can we do? And I'm like, yeah. be there for the long term, because that's what people yeah, don't exactly. realize. Like, And what you said was so heartwarming and beautiful to say, well, you know, look, he's at home now, but we have to keep making that effort because... Uh, like my experiences yeah people didn't and then kids are so sensitive you know we pick up on such those little things that if you see that someone continued makes the effort like not just for a year for like 10 years for 50 if you like as a parent would it is just uh, it's yeah it's really really special and important because it's important to hear that yeah my, I, think, I mean my wife is probably even better that well even better my wife is a lot better than i am at that kind of uh thing but but it just it, it hit me last saturday it hit me christ well this needs to be part of his inner mm. life we need to be part of his emotional and mental furniture yeah for the duration not, yeah, not just, and you know, aren't we doing a great job of helping him during this difficult time? We need yeah. to be part of his emotional furniture, and and um, and we will be. We have to. And be. yeah, you know, grief is a really it's it doesn't go away. It stays with you for life, and you just learn how to deal with it. But if you, it happens to you very young, obviously it's it's formative. It changes a lot of things. And I know yeah. from my experience of people sort of turning up for the things they kind of felt they were supposed to turn up, and then trying to talk to you, and you were like you're like a teacher to me yeah. like you know like you suddenly want this bond but you might as well be my geography teacher like so I, don't, I don't know it's you so interesting. and they expect this connection from you because they had yeah. it with your parent and you're like you uh, you sure. weren't there you know like the Saturdays when we had nothing to do because like you know no one had invited us around or stuff like that you yeah. know the little things that boring right. mundanity um mundanity is like that's when you need people there mm. you know like not just like you said for the big moments which is not no well and i'm a bit i can be a bit of a dick like that i can be i I want the you know the plaudits for oh wow what an amazing sensitive godfather (laughs) wow what an amazing and 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 i love that way that you just use the word mundane because that that is what you need to be you don't just get the oh isn't he great look at that he's really looking after that boy he's like what a great bloke james is yeah what's top lad you need to be the boring yeah well. the you boring stuff the rainy you know, saturday someone... when there's nothing else to do but well, you know it was some... bizarrely last time we saw yeah, him yeah, it was a very yeah. rainy saturday where there was nothing <laughs> else to do but but that that yeah i mean that is that, again that's probably something i got out of therapy was was not seeing everything through the lens of my own self-importance but just recognizing the role that you have to play in the life of people you love and that that is about them the most valuable role you can play in the life of people you love is the role that they want you to play, mm. not the role that you feel most suited to or most drawn to. Yeah, and it's hard, you know, it's hard. We all have our egos. We all have our things that we're more comfortable with. And and again, it's like if you're someone, like you said, who, you know, can do public speaking, is there for the big things. Mm. Like, that's great too. That's also lovely to have someone there who's who's good at that stuff. But yeah, I think, I think often people forget... Or, or sort of think, oh, they probably don't need us for that. They'll be fine. And you're mm. like, no, they are wondering where you are. <laughs> like they are like, oh. And you lose, you know, when, when a parent dies, you sort of do lose a lot of friends, you know, in, as in people who used to come to the house. 
you know, your parents' friends, yeah. like people who just used to sort of pop round, like suddenly don't pop round because, you know, you realise, oh, they, when you're a kid, you just think they're my parents' friends. But as you get older, you go, oh, they were my dad's friend. They were my mum's friend. I didn't realise right. there was this thing that yeah, they're not going to come round because it would be odd to call that person. So, yeah, I think what you said was, re- was really wonderful. Um, it's just a lot, isn't it? It's just a lot to process. Yes. And I think if, if somebody can give such generosity when they are dying... But equally, like, it's shit, isn't it? Because <laughs> if someone's so great, of course you then miss them fucking more because you're like, they were great. They were well, that, really that, that, great. That, like, that's the bit I've struggled with this year is is that yeah. um, exactly that. The, 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 oh, man, we could have done this and we could have done that and we should have done that and we should have done the other and um, I wish I'd known. I mean, partly the work side of stuff. I, I, you know, I wish I'd known better what a, what a player you were are mm. maybe because we talked about doing stuff together and neither of us ever quite got around to it or have it i mean that would have been great fun so yeah the bigger the gap the bigger the regrets but also the bigger the gratitude mm. for having had that gap filled for so long i think yeah and that i think comes back to what you're saying when it is someone you know in your peer group or your age you, you didn't quite see yeah it wasn't on the list that's definitely how i felt about I said my friend who passed away and yes and when I I attended her zoom funeral and people started talking about like how incredible she was at her job and I had no because yeah. you know she was my friend the palliative care nurse that I talked to about death and then all these people like how groundbreaking the work she was doing and I was like oh my god like yeah. I, had, I had no idea like I just I knew she was good and knew she was interesting and yeah there's I don't know what you do you know there's nothing you can do with that. Like I said, you can't fix it or be like, and so from now on, right. I'm going to like be friends, make sure I understand everybody. It's like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> Life isn't that simple. It'd be nice if you could then suddenly... I listen more. I think I listen more now. You know, that the show-off gene where, where everyone's an audience, potentially. Mm. I, th- I think I've learned from him when he was alive and in death that people are a lot more interesting than... Uh, than you sometimes realise, even people you think you know. So that's helpful. I've been out a couple of times since, because obviously we've had the privations of lockdown, and I I do find myself, uh, excited isn't quite the right word, but energised by the thought of listening to people. Again, where where does lockdown end and and grief start? I don't Mm. know, it's all inextricably linked, but I find the idea, if I'm meeting up with someone I like, I do oddly now notice myself looking forward to finding out what they've been up to and how they've been. Like genuinely looking <laughs> forward to fleshing out those bits of our yeah. friendship, whereas previously perhaps I'd have been looking forward to telling them about my latest bit of news or my latest quotes achievement mm. end quotes. And and being interested in theirs, but not not interested enough. So that that talking to you now I realise that has actually shifted something has shifted there but again who knows whether it would have done anyway or or whether it's linked to lockdown or whether it's linked to to losing Andy yeah and it's hard because it was so recent as well you know like it Mm. was only just like you said months ago and I think grief and the relationship you have with that person that kind of internally carries on those conversations to carry on even though they're not there because you sort of know what they might say to you about things like that takes yeah for you to like know where it's coming from like you said it's so it's so fresh and so inextricably inextricably linked with what we've been going through mm. and i think i really <laughs> like i really understand where you're coming from because like as a performer which you are you know you are a, a form of performance i guess isn't it and i think when you've come from a performer background it takes a lot like it takes a lot and a lot of adrenaline and a lot of push and drive to get anything because it's so hard to Mm. get somewhere and then what I've noticed with all my friends as well like we pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and sometimes you you have to sort of slow down and go oh I don't need to keep doing that but you're still in that mindset of like gotta keep gotta break down the door because I'm not gonna get there and I think you really get that sense with you and Andy of like he saw you in those bits when you were still pushing so of course he was Mm. still delighted when it worked and and then was able to listen because it was lovely I mean so so I remember but when I became a published author, which which my dad never saw, my my dad would always use the old Peter Cook joke. If my career was in the doldrums, he'd say, "What are you doing, son?" And I'd say, "I'm writing a book, Dad." And he'd say, "Neither am I, son." 
which is the old Peter <laughs> Cook gag. And I finally got around to writing a book. And I honestly think that Andy found that even more exciting than I did. You know, he sent me pictures of him and, and my godson in Waterstones, or they just found oh. a guy. They found, found it in the window. And I don't know that I've ever had a friend who could derive so much pleasure from other people's pleasure, from other people's mm. success. I, I honestly don't. And then we come back to that Joni Mitchell line about not knowing what you've yeah. got till it's gone, which is the most poignant thing of all, isn't it? Because you're 50% lucky and you're 50% regretful. But he wasn't the kind of guy that wanted me to, uh, you know, write a bloody poem about what a top mate he was. That would have been his, <laughs> that would <laughs> that would not have been his idea of fun. He, he just had that. He had an ability, I think, due to his mum, who he also lost early-ish. I mean, he, he was in his, I think, his early forties when when he lost his mum. But he dealt with that loss, and I, and I realised when I was thinking about him and his life what an enormous part and also when I was reading what he'd written about his life what an enormous part his mum had played and he, and he talked to my wife about uh, his parents split up when he was quite young and he stayed with his mum and she'd come in from work she worked in Boots in Rochdale and she'd come in and they'd sit in the kitchen and they could talk about absolutely anything so although I've got this image of him as a buttoned up northerner who wouldn't have wanted me to write? But he clearly, in that kitchen in the in the eighties and the nineties with his mum, he he clearly did the emotional literacy. He clearly mm. talked about everything and brought that to his friendships and his relationships. So sometimes you don't need to say it out just to feel seen. That was it. That was the thing with him: is that he saw you. And he saw almost all of you, which very few people do. Often the people who love you the most perhaps are blind to your faults. But he just saw you. You felt so seen with him. And that, again, is, is where the gap, the hole in my life feels feels biggest because it's, it's, it's a very rare feeling to feel completely seen. Yeah. Oh, God. And, and yeah. And you brought that. And like you said, it, it's... it's precious and wonderful and so wonderful when it happens but of course like all wonderful things <laughs> when it's gone there's a pain to that and I think yeah especially I can really relate to that of like like you said the industry you're in and maybe that's not fair maybe everybody has that feeling of of needing and and enjoying someone who just like you said can see everything and is not judging you for it but just yeah. is be like yeah i i know your worst <laughs> i know your best and i still think you're fine <laughs> like that's a very yeah. nice place I to be with someone yeah and and almost almost liking your faults as well yeah because they're a part part of you and you know uh, it, it's um it's very strange, as I said at the outset, I think because of age, not expecting it to happen and, and to to reflect on on the luck, actually, mm. the good fortune of having someone like that in your life, which is almost counterintuitive when you're mourning them, to be reflecting on how lucky you were to have them because you don't have them anymore. So the luckier you were to have them, the sadder you should be that you don't have them. And yet he somehow managed to navigate that the better your life is, the angrier you should be about it ending early, right? You'd think. Mm. And the more amazing your friend is, the madder you should be about him being taken away early. And yet, somehow, almost by a process of emotional osmosis, I think I took away from his piece. I think I took away some of my own. That, that idea, I was just really, really lucky to know you. Mm. And yeah, it would have been great to know you for another 30 years. But I won't. And I can't. So I'll just sit with how lucky I was to know you and and I think that that's what he'd done as well you'd be great to live for another 20 or 30 years but Jesus I've had a life mm. and and I know that he went to you know he, he went to his maker um feeling like one of the luckiest people that ever lived and that that's a really beautiful comforting consolation he just did and he was you know in many ways but it wasn't just luck it, it, it was it was a special human being well James thank you so much for talking to us about Andy he sounds bloody brilliant <laughs> well uh, yeah I wish you could meet him really do. yeah me too he sounded lovely and what yeah what an amazing thing 
to deal with something but that, like that. I mean, that's the that's the takeaway. Mm. I, 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 I wish I could remember it word for word, but I, I honestly don't have a single regret. Can you imagine what that feels like? And I, I'm not sure I can, but he could. He was there. Well, yeah. And thank you for coming and remembering him today. Thank you. James's book, How Not To Be Wrong, The Art of Changing Your Mind, is out in paperback now, available from all good bookshops. You can hear him most days on LBC, and he's also available to follow on Twitter, at Mr. James O-B, M-R-J-A-M-E-S-O-B. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was recorded remotely from my living room and, I think, an LBC studio, where James had just finished his shift talking to people. Uh, it's edited by Kate Holland, and the music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. And remember... You are not alone. And good luck this Sunday. Remember, it's just a day and once it's over, you don't have to think about it for a year. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.